0: Good morning, brothers and sisters. Turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter 3. As our brother Malcolm said, we are in Exodus right now in our series. And our assigned portion for today is Exodus chapter 3 all the way to chapter 5. So this morning, and with the help of the Lord, we're going to go through Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. We'll read the entirety of the chapter, and actually we're going to go into chapter 4 all the way to verse uh, 23. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. There you go. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending to the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert, and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame, in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. The bush was was burning with fire, but the bush was not being burned. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. Then he said, Do not draw near to this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and I have heard their cries because of their taskmasters for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up up, to bring them up from that land to a good and large land to a land flowing with milk and honey to a place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore behold. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. So he said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your father sent me, and they they will say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Go, gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you. And seen what is done to you in Egypt, and I have and I have said, I will bring you up out of the, out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of Canaan, to the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, to the land flowing with milk and honey. Then they will heed your voice, and you shall come and you, and, and the elders. I'm sorry, and the elders of Israel to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews. Has met with us, and now, please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, but I am sure the king of Egypt will not let you go, not even with a mighty hand, so I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in, in its midst after after that he will let you go, and I will give and I will give his people. Uh, this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be when they when you go, that you shall not go empty-handed. But every woman shall go, shall ask of her neighbor, namely of, of her, who dwells near her her house, articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. You shall put on, uh, on them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. Then Moses answered and said. But suppose they do not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, what is it that that is in your hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out with your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it and it became a rod in his hands. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, "Put your hand in your bosom." And he put his hand in his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous, like snow. And he said, "Put your hand in your bosom again." And so he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out. And his and his in his, uh, in his bosom, uh, he drew it out from his bosom. And behold. It was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be, if they do not believe nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the the latter sign. And it shall be, if they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry land, and the water which you take from the river will become blood on dry land. Then Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I am not eloquent, Neither before, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And the Lord said to them, "Who has made uh, who has made man's mouth, or who will make it mute? The deaf, the seeing, or the blind have not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what to say." But he, but he says, "O Lord." Please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and it will be with your your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be a spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth to you, and you shall be to him as God. And you shall take uh, this rod in your hand with which you shall do the signs. So Moses went and turned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please, let uh, uh, let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Now the Lord said to, said to Moses and Midian, "Return to Egypt, for all the men who sought, sought your life are dead." Then Moses took his wife, his sons, and set, and set them on a donkey, and returned to the land of Egypt. Then Moses took the rod of God in his hands, and the Lord said to Moses, "When you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hands, but I will harden the heart I will harden his heart so that He will not let the people go." Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus saith the, uh, the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my, fir- let my son go, that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed I will kill your son, your firstborn. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. It's quite a passage, isn't it? Quite a lot to cover. And frankly, I, I will say we're not going to cover much um, with the time that we have, and, and there's just so much here. But I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you guys this morning what I felt the Lord was leaning on my heart. And mostly I want to concentrate on, on, on the character of God. The, God's own revelation of himself in this portion. We can talk about a lot of things in this chapter, but I want to concentrate on, on the person of our Lord. Because when the Lord makes an appearance here on earth, brothers and sisters, it, it's, it's a time for all of us to stop, pause, and take note. When God himself appears and reveals himself to humanity, humanity should take note, even though for the most part they ignore him altogether. And so this morning I want to concentrate on the character on the revelation of the Lord in this chapter. And the first thing I want, to, I want you guys to consider is the character of God. And it's a simple point. We see in verse 2 it says that the angel of the Lord appeared to him. The angel of the Lord, listen, the Lord is a God of revelation. He reveals himself. Now you may say, Jamal, that, 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 that's, a, that's a pretty simple fact. You're right, it is. Absolutely, it is a simple fact. But when we consider the God who created the heavens and the earth, the great I am, as we'll look on later on, actually seeks to reveal himself to humanity, it should cause our hearts to stop for a moment that he would even consider such a thing. But you see, here the Lord appears. To Moses. Now we must stop there for a moment and, and let me clarify a little bit what, what is meant by the angel of the Lord. Now you've heard the big term uh, a Christophany. Now I'm not good with big words as some of you know. I, I end up making big words too myself. But Christophany is simply this. It's simply an, an appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ before his incarnation. And how do we know that this, that's the case? In this verse here, right? Well, we look down, it says that the angel of the Lord appeared unto him. And in the verse later, he says that the Lord saw that he turned aside. You see, the angel of the Lord's there, but it's the Lord who saw who was turning aside. This is not just a mere angel. It's not an angel who, who's there to declare the word of the Lord. He is going to speak the word of the Lord. So we see here a pre-incarnate Christ appearing to a lowly shepherd to reveal to this shepherd, the, a little bit of the character of God. To shed a little bit of light upon this man of who is the God whom they serve. And it's a privilege and an honor to, to think of such a thing. You know, when we think about the way God reveals himself, I mean, we, we know from the New Testament how God, he says, he reveals himself from the stars in the heavens. Uh, he, he reveals himself in his word, does he not? We turn to the Bible, and and we learn of him. But I tell you, Moses had the unique privilege of meeting the incarnate Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ. But we're not not far off, aren't we? We're not far off. See, you and I, we have this word of God. And we can meet the, the God who came and was flesh, and walked this earth. And, and he, he walked this guilty side, as, as, the, as the hymn writer writes. And we can read of his acts, his words, his teachings, and his death. And he revealed. We, 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 he's revealed in him. You know, John, John, in John chapter 1, John put it the best. In John chapter 1, verse 18, he says, No one, at any time, he says has seen the Father. And that's the truth. No, no one has seen God the Father. No, no one can stand before God the Father and live. He is perfection and holiness. No one can stand before God the Father and live. No one has seen him. Oh, but John said, well, if, if we can't see him, how will we know him? John says, hold on. Oh, but the only begotten son The only begotten Son, who's at the bosom of the Father, who has seen the Father. What did he he do? He came to earth and he what? He declared him to us. He declares him to us. And just like there, Moses, he he saw the angel of the Lord, a pre-incarnate Christ, and he declared to Moses who the Heavenly Father was. A a father who he could not witness, he could not see himself. So we see God is a God who reveals himself to humanity. The second point I want you guys to consider with me, and and forgive me, these are simple points, but they're they're precious, and and I want you to grasp them, is that when, when Moses turned aside to see this great side, it says that the Lord saw, and it says that the Lord, it says the Lord God called. The Lord God called. And it's simply this that God is a God who communicates. He's a God who communicates. That's a simple point, I know. But when you consider the authorities in this world, how well do they communicate? If we look at even the president of today, how well does he communicate? There's always seems to be a disagreement. He says so and so, his party says so and so, this guy says so and so. It's, it's, it always seems to be a mess. Let alone that the, the authorities of this country would never come down and communicate to you individually. Yet the God of the heavens and the God of the earth would come down and he wants to communicate with you, just like he did here with Moses. It says, the Lord called to him. And it says here, here uh, in verse 6, it says, uh, the Lord said, and the Lord said, and he said uh, uh, in verse 7, and over and over, the Lord is speaking. The Lord is communicating. And that is significant. That's incredibly significant. That we have a God who's willing to communicate with a humanity who is undeserving of his own presence, let alone his own communication. You know, I, my mind goes, goes very quickly to Hebrews chapter 1, right? You know, the Lord reveals himself through the Lord Jesus Christ, but he also what? In Hebrews chapter 1, let me, let me turn to that because I don't want to misquote it. Hebrews chapter 1. It says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in, po- in times past by the fathers and the prophets. Has in these last days spoken to us by who? His Son. He's speaking to us by His Son. You see, the God who who made an appearance to Moses is the same God who's speaking to you through His Son. We look at the Old Testament patriarchs sometimes and we're at awe. The privilege that that Moses had. The privilege that Abraham had. The privilege that Gideon had. Yet the Lord says, here I am. I've sent my son. I'm speaking through him. He came to earth and he revealed all things that the Father was to you and to I. And he's communicating to the world. Are you listening? Are we listening? We see God's character. God is a, a, a God who communicates. And third, I want you to consider... He's a holy God. Moses turned aside. He went. He walked up to the burning bush. The Lord called out to him and said, Moses, slow down. The ground which you stand upon is holy. Remove the sandals from your feet. Now, I was surprised when I found this out. But do you know that, that is the first instance of the word holy in, in the word of God? We're all the way in Exodus. And the first time we ever hear the word holy is in this very moment. And it t- talks to us about the character of God. Whenever anybody's in the presence of God, it is a holy thing, is it not? We see it in the, in, in, in the Scriptures time and time again. There, you guys remember Joshua? There's Joshua looking upon Jericho and, and pondering in his heart, how, how is this going to happen? And he feels a presence coming to him. And here's this man coming, and Joshua turns to him, are you with us or are you against us, he says. <laughs> he says, No. I am the captain of the Lord of hosts. Remove your sandals for the ground you stand upon is holy. What does Joshua do? Joshua throws himself to the ground and worships. We, We serve a holy and righteous God. We serve a God who is beyond perfection. And you may say, well, how does that apply to you and I? How does it apply to you and me? Well, saints, if we look at the New Testament... There in the epistle to the Corinth, Paul makes it very clear. He says, don't you know that you are the temple? Don't you know that the Holy Spirit dwells in you, he says. Huh. And he warns you, doesn't he? He warns you that if anyone, what, defiles the temple of God. Oh, there's great warning towards it. Well, listen, the Bible is very clear, right, in the Old Testament to the New Right? The Lord says, be ye holy, for I am holy. Listen, we live in a society where, where in Christianity as a whole, it, 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 it's become mundane. It's become whatever you like it to be. Very lackadaisical to an extent. Let me tell you, the, God's holiness stands firm. It does not waver. When Aaron's son walked up to the temple with strange fire, God's holiness came out in fire and consumed them. Why? He would not have strange fire before him. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. This assembly as a whole is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And we should seek to do things the way God intends them to do so. We don't walk around and do things the way we feel to do them. Just because it makes us feel better. Or maybe it'll attract more people. We do things because God wants them done that way. And that's the only way it should be because he's holy. And we should seek to be holy like he is holy. He is a holy God. Next, I want you to consider he's a God. He is a God who makes covenants. And keeps covenants. He is Jehovah, the covenant maker and the covenant keeper. He turns to Moses, Moses, I am the God of your fathers. And then he goes to list, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. You know, it's interesting, you know, you look at those, study those three characters Abraham, a man chosen, a Out of the masses. A man given a promise, given a a covenant, that through him, through this old decrepit man and his wife who was barren, through this man, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. A man who would commune with God, who would be called the friend of God. And then you have Isaac, the promised son, the promised seed. Which, which speaks to us of resurrection. The, the boy himself was a miracle. The, the loins of Adam were, uh, of Abraham were, were done. The womb of, of Sarah was dead. Yet, out of nothing, out of the deadness of their womb, came out Isaac. And even in Genesis chapter 22 there, where his father was going to sacrifice him to the Lord, the Lord stopped him but it speaks to us of resurrection. And then we get to Jacob. He's a bit tougher, isn't he? Jacob was a bit of a rascal. Uh, Jacob, when God would, would reveal himself to him there at Bethel, he would negotiate with God. He would try to contrive a blessing out of God, seeking his own gain. Yet, in the second half of his life, after he wrestled with God, another Christophany, by the way, God changes his name. Israel, prince of God. To take a man like Jacob to be a prince of God. We all have hope, don't we? We all have hope. If he could turn a wretched man like Jacob, he could do it to me. He could do it to you. And when you stand before a living God, unworthy, but he he makes us sons and daughters of God, doesn't he? He's a God who makes covenants and keeps covenants. You see, he said, I'm the God of Abraham. He gave Abraham that, he promised him that wonderful covenant. He said, listen, through you, I'm going I'm to bless all the nations. Through your family. Through Jacob. He confirmed that, 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 that covenant with Jacob, did he not? In Genesis chapter 26, there at Gera, he confirmed it to Isaac. He did it again with Jacob, he confirmed that covenant. And listen, we, we, we hear the church, we're not, we don't stand outside these covenants. We're part of those covenants. It's a, all a continuation of the same thing. We stand upon the same God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we praise him for it. He's a God who will not fail. He's not like me. Just ask my wife. Everything she asks me to do, oh yeah, sure, honey. If I get 10% of what I say comes out of my mouth done, I praise the Lord for it. And she's a happy woman. But no, he's a God who keeps covenants. He hasn't forgotten. And he, there he appears to Moses and says, listen, I am the God of your fathers. I am the God who, who promised Abraham all those things. Uh, uh, both an earthly seed, but a heavenly as well. I, I am the same God. And I have not forgotten. Next, I want you to consider he is a God of compassion. He's a God of compassion. He turns to Moses and says, I have seen the the oppression of my people. I have seen the affliction of my people, he says. I have not forgotten. You know, this world whenever catastrophes happen and they turn to so where is god where is he we may not see them we may not know he's there but he's there he's there my mind my mind goes very quickly to that scene there in acts when Saul of Tarsus with 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 his with his troops walking down to the road of the, down the road to Damascus, seeking to 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 persecute Christians, seeking to throw them in jail, and the Lord Himself appears to him in a great light and says, "Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Don't you understand, Saul, that what you do to them you do to me?" The afflictions of my people is my afflictions. Isaiah says, in all the afflictions, in all their afflictions, he was afflicted with. All the afflictions that the people of God suffer, he feels. Could you imagine? Sometimes we think that the suffering of the Lord was at the cross and and it seems to end, but he's burdened. He sees the affliction of God's people and and he feels it. He's the head. We are the body. The body hurts. The head knows it and feels it. And he turned to Saul. Saul, why do you persecute me? Don't you know every stone that hit Stephen's head, every stone that cast Stephen, it was on me. He's a God of compassion. Next, I want you to look at, he's a God of deliverance. He saw their compa- he saw their oppression. He saw their affliction and he says in verse, verse 8, he says, I have come down to deliver. I have come down to deliver. Is that not the gospel story? Did he not look upon the afflictions of humanity with their sins? Did he not see us lost in our sins? And he saw our affliction and he came down. Did he not? He came to deliver us. We sing that hymn many, many times on Sunday morning. Hymn 93. It says, He saw me plunged in the deep distress. He flew to my relief. For me, he bore the shame of the cross and carried all my grief. He sees our afflictions and he came down to deliver us. He's a God who delivers. He's a God who delivers his people. Next, I want you to consider, he's a God who commissions. He told Moses, I have seen their afflictions. I have come down to deliver them. Now I'm telling you, Moses, come now. He's a God of commission. Now, I want you to stop and consider a little bit about Moses at this moment. It's interesting to note when he, when, he, when he saw Moses, he called out to Moses. He says, Moses, Moses. He called his name out twice. He called his name out twice for a reason. Whenever the Lord ever calls upon a person and says their name twice, it's, it's an important message that needs to be relayed to that person. It happens many times in Scripture. In fact, if you remember in Genesis 22, there when Abraham was getting ready to plunge that knife into his son, the Lord God calls from heaven and says, Abraham, Abraham, don't don't harm the boy. Stop. And the Lord provided a lamb. You also see it in Samuel there, the young little Samuel, there in his dream, as he's laying down, he thinks Eli is calling him. It's the Lord Samuel, Samuel. He had an urgent message for Samuel. A message uh, that needed to be said to the high priest because of, of, of the depravity of the people, the depravity of the priesthood. Urgent message. And we've also mentioned Saul, right? There in Acts, he cried out to Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's, it's an important. The Lord calls out to Moses with an urgent message. Listen, Moses, I want you to come now. I want you to come now. And I want you to consider that. Two things. One, Moses had to learn when to come. You see, the Lord, it was the Lord's time in this moment to deliver his people. And yet Moses, as we learn, is a bit reprehensive later on. But you know, you go 40 40 years ago, Moses was, was willing and ready. He was at the prime of his life. He was intelligent. He was wise. He was ready to deliver God's people with his own strength. And God had to send him away. God had to send him away to the quietness of the desert, to the back parts of the desert, it says. To commune with God, and for 40 years to tend to sheep, which is interesting, by the way. For Egyptians looked upon shepherds as second-class citizens. It wasn't an honorable occupation. In fact, when Joseph, we learned that from Joseph, right? He told, tell Pharaoh that you're shepherds and you have livestock. They they don't like you guys, but just tell them that. The Egyptian didn't care for that type of work. Could you imagine Moses, who for 40 years, in in the best schools of Egypt, in the best colleges of Egypt, taught in all the wisdom of Egypt. And let me tell you, there was a lot of wisdom there. One of the greatest civilizations this world has ever seen. To spend 40 years doing the thing that the civilization of, of that day said, it's not worth it. It's second class. For 40 years he humbled himself. And he communed quietly with sheep and the Lord. And after 40 years of silence, of quietness, the Lord said, now is the time. Now is the time. Now, brothers and sisters, there's a huge lesson for you and I there, isn't there? Sometimes we may want to uh, rush things along Oh, listen, if, if we do this, this, and this, the, the, we'll see soul say If we do this, this, and this, maybe, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll get more people in the meeting. Maybe. Slow down. First, it starts with you. First, it starts with me. Humble yourself. Not until Moses was humbled did God call to him. Not, only, not, only, not until he was humbled was God able to use him. You know, unfortunately, History in the Old Testament and in the New Testament is riddled with people who tried to help God in, in their own time. You know, there, poor Sarah, with a barren womb, desperate to, to give a child to her husband, not seeing the promise of God coming to fruition. And the older she got, she grew more in despair. And she said to, to her husband, Maybe the Lord, maybe I can help the Lord. Maybe the Lord will give you a son through my maidservant, Hagar. And from Hagar came Ishmael. And from Ishmael came the Ishmaelites. And because of that one decision of a woman trying to help God in her time, it has shaped the human history in a completely different manner, right? We still see the quarrels of Ishmael and Isaac, don't we, today? They're still at each other's necks. All because she she was impatient. And we shouldn't be too hard on Sarah. I'm just as impatient if not more. But we should be patient. Seek the Lord's guidance. Wait for the Lord's timing in all things. I'm not saying it's going to be quick. I'm not saying it's going to be 40 years in his time. Paul, Paul is a perfect example. Paul said there in the Second Mission journey, Lord, I want to go to Asia Minor. Spirit said, No, 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 not yet. I, I know you want to. Oh, I want to go to this other region. Spirit said, No, you wait. He had to wait. Not until the Spirit gave him the vision of the man in Mesopotamia saying, Come, come. Until the Lord led, then he moved. The importance of waiting for God's time. Come now. A God of commission, waiting on God's time. Next, I want want you to consider just for a few moments the reaction of Moses. We talked briefly about his humility. He said, Who am I, Lord? Now, later on, his humility gets a little too much, and and, and he he begins to doubt. he, He doesn't realize who's standing before him, who's talking to him. The Lord's saying, Go, Moses, I will be with you. And he says, but, Lord, but, Lord. But I want to consider that first reaction. Who am I, Lord? Who am I? My prayer for myself and for all believers. To understand our place before a living God. It's not one where we stand upon any merit of our own. If God calls you to do something, (laughs) Understand, it's not by your own merit, but it's by the grace of God and His grace alone. Who are we? Who are we to be vessels of the living God? Who are we to be tools in the hands of the Lord of hosts? Who are we? That should be our attitudes. Never one of self-righteous, of self-intelligence, of self-wisdom, but one of humility. We can learn a lot from Moses. A man, like I said, for 40 years, in fact, Stephen puts it the best. He said, for 40 years, he was, he was wise in Egypt. Mighty indeed, he says, Stephen. And then for 40 years, he, he wandered in the wilderness, in the back parts of the desert, in the quiet place, where, let me tell you, it's a beautiful picture of the world and the quiet place where the Lord wants us. You see, the Lord couldn't use Moses, when the, when the wisdom of Egypt, the wisdom of the world was all around him, and that's all he ever heard, not until he got around to the quiet place and he communed in simplicity with the living God, that he prepared his servant. And after 40 years he was ready, ready to deliver God's people, ready to, to see and to prove to the, to the known world who God was. And to behold the power of the living God. To to part the Red Sea. To see manna come down from heaven. And to feed two million peoples every single day. To behold the power of God. I love love that verse in, in, in Isaiah. He says, a bruised reed he will not break. A smoking flax he will not quench. We learn Moses, yes, after 40 years of being in the wilderness, he was a broken man. He had nothing left within himself. And even though he doubted God in his own presence, God did not snuff him out. God did not snap, break that bruised reed. He did not snuff out that small little flax. But he nurtured it. And he does with you and I. We're all evidence of His grace. We all do things for His glory that are not within ourselves. It's all by His grace. Very quickly, as we're way out of time, I want to consider two last things. I want to consider the symbol in which He appeared Himself. He chose a burning bush a bush, a, a shrub that was green, engulfed with crackling flames. And there's a lot of different commentaries, a lot of different men say, what, what, what does that signify? What does that mean? So a lot of people would sit there and say that it's a picture of Israel. Even though they were oppressed with, with, by, by Egypt, yet they remained whole. And that, that sounds great and that sounds wonderful. But. I appreciate what our brother Osborne said in this. He says, listen, this, this burning bush, this, this engulfed with fire, which did not get consumed, it illustrates, it illustrates to us the character of God. It illustrates to us the character of God. You see, He's a God who, who lives forever. A God who, who, who's who's never consumed. A God whose flame who never burns out. A God whose resources never expire, never run out. He's a God who's undiminished. A God who has no need for rest or recuperations. He's a God who gives and yet is never the poorer for it. He's a God who works and is never weary. He's a God who loves. And yet his love goes on forever. He's a God who goes through all the ages. You see that burning bush, uh, that's on fire. It was never consumed. His flames, you know, the flames if you ever do an interesting flames through the scriptures always depict God. There when Abraham was making the covenant with the angel of the Lord, it says that they, 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 they cut all the sacrifices in half and a great sleep fell upon Abraham. And when he woke up, he said he saw a light, a flame, a lamp walking amidst the animals. Always a picture of the presence of God. Fire. Never, ever burns out. Never, ever gets consumed. When, when Elijah says to the prophets of Baal, he says, listen, you, you pray to your God. I will pray to my God. And whoever brings fire from heaven, he will be the true God. Oh, the the priest, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We know God by fire. We even see it in the New Testament, don't we? There in the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God came upon the church like like a flame, a tongue of flame, the presence of God. He's a God that is not quenched. And lastly, very quickly, I want to talk about His name. He reveals Himself. His name describes who He is. His name reveals His nature. He says, I am that I am. I am who I am. I, 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 I am sent me. He tells, Moses, you tell the I am sent me. From this, this, these little words, I am, we get the name Jehovah in the Hebrew. I am. And it's a self-sustaining name, right? It's a name that stands outside of time. For I am that I am does not have a beginning. I am that I am does not have an end. (laughs) I recall, I remember watching a debate by uh, John Lennox, a a believer and and an atheist by the name of Richard Dawkins, who wrote a book called The God Delusion*. And he argued to, 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 to this brother, uh, John Lennox. He says, he says, you know, the problem with ha- having a creator is you have to ask yourself, who made the creator? And, and then you have to ask who made that guy who made the creator? <laughs> and John Lennox turns to this man and says, friend, if your idea of God is a one who needs to be created, that is a delusion. That is a delusion. For God stands outside of time. There is no past. There is no future. He is forever in the now. He is forever in the now. Whenever Scripture turns and and refers, and God speaks to us in the past and the present, He's lowering Himself to our feeble little minds. But He forever stands outside of time, the Creator of time. He is in the eternity and the now. He will ever, He has ever been and He will ever be. He is the I am that I am. You know, we read in the, in the New Testament there when the Lord himself put on flesh and he walked this earth. He used those words, did he not? He said, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine, he says. I am the light of the world. Those words graced his mouth for our for our, our pleasure. But I want you to consider two, two specific events. You guys recall after the feeding of the 5,000, he sent the disciples on to get on the boat and go across the river. And he went up to the high place to, to pray. Afterwards, there's the disciples toiling in the boat. There was a storm on the, in the middle of the lake and they were trying to get to land. And the Lord walking on, walking on the water comes to them. And they see him and they're scared. And... Our Bible says, He cried to him and says, It is I, do not be afraid. But the Greek there is far more powerful than just it is I. It actually is, I am, do not fear. He declared to him his deity. He says, I am. I know your afflictions. I know your troubles. I know your fears. Do not fear. The God who created the waters and the storm, I'm here. And secondly, I want you to consider there in the Garden of Gethsemane when the mob came for him. And the mob came to him and says, <laughs> and he says, who are you looking for? The Lord says to the mob, who are you looking for? You know, sometimes we sing hymns talking about, and talk about, they call him a victim. And we should be careful because he wasn't a victim. Far from it. He goes to the mob and says, who are you looking for? And they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am. And the self-proclamation of his deity caused the mob to fall flat on their backs. And they could not move. So much so, he had to ask them again, Who are you looking for? Oh, we're looking for Jesus Well, here I am. Come on, let's go. And then he says, take me, but let these go. Let them go. Let my disciples go. the the I am of this world, making intercession for the poor disciples, giving himself, putting himself in the hands of sinners for them to mistreat him, to crucify him. He allowed himself to be crucified. For who? To deliver you and I he came down, He saw afflictions, He came down, He came down to deliver you and I. And this morning, we're forever thankful to Thee I Am, Jehovah, the one true living God who saw the afflictions of humanity and came down to deliver them. Let us pray. Our Heavenly God and Father, we, we're humbled, Lord, We, like the psalmist, Lord, we, we look upon the heavens and we say, Lord, who are we that you should even consider us? Who are, who are we that you should even visit us, Lord? Who are you, who are you Lord, uh, to even care about our little afflictions, Lord? Yet you do. Yet you loved. Yet you showed grace. You, you, you looked upon humanity and you saw their affliction. You saw their plight of sin, Lord, and, you, and your unconditional grace came down and delivered us and offers us salvation, Lord. Did we deserve that grace? No. But you did anyways because you loved us. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your work. We thank you and praise you for your salvation. We thank you and praise you for your love. Lord, I ask all these things in his precious name. Amen.